بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن والاه اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Okay folks, so inshallah uh, Today inshallah we're going to be restarting the uh, local dars And the chapter is a new one and it's a big one It's a major uh, aspect Not just from a, uh, a, Zad, a Zad al-Mustaqni point of view In terms of uh, uh, Imam al-Hajjawi But also from a content point of view Because of how relevant it is How many people uh, get confused by this issue How many people make mistakes in this issue and that is the issue of the niyyah, okay, intention. And um, Sheikh Uthameen is going to give a nice introduction, short one, make us focus yani, on exactly who deals with what aspects of the niyyah, especially when we look at it from points of view of fiqh, because niyyah is a major act of ibadah, and it comes under different categories in Islam. It comes in the categories of law, as well as theology as well, because of course it depends upon who the acts of worship um, uh, are for, of course. And that is the asal of shirk when you get it wrong. And so, of course, the niyyah is what protects the person yani, from that. So it's a significant uh, chapter in the sharia. So let's read out what we're going to be covering. Bab shurut al-salah. So again, we're still um, in the conditions of the prayer. Okay. And actually, after this, we're going to get into the actual physical act of the prayer. So it's also the penultimate kind of uh, section two. Chapter, the conditions of the prayer, the intention. وَمِنْهَا النِّيَّةِ فَيَجِبُ أَنْ يَنْوِيَ عَيْنَ صَلَاةٍ مُعَيَّنَةٍ وَلَا يُشْتَرَطُ فِي الْفَرْضِ وَالْأَدَاءِ وَالْقَضَاءِ وَالنَّفْلِ وَالْإِعَادَةِ نِيَتُهُنْ وَيَنْوِي مَعَ التَّحْرِيمَ وَلَهُ تَقْدِيمُهَا عَلَيْهَا بِزَمَنٍ يَسِيرٍ فِي الْوَقْتِ فَإِنْ قَطَعَهَا فِي أَثْنَاءِ الصَّلَاةِ أَوْ تَرَدَّدْ بَطَلَتْ وَإِذَا شَكَّ فِيهَا اسْتَأْنَفَهَا وَإِنْ قَلَبَ مُنْفَرِدٌ فَرْضَهُ نَفْلًا فِي وَقْتِهِ الْمُتَّسِعِ جَازٍ وَنِنْتَقَلَ بِنِيَّةٍ مِنْ فَرْضٍ إِلَى فَرْضٍ بَطَلًا وَيَجِبُ نِيَّةُ الْإِمَامِ وَالْإِعْتِمَامِ That's enough yani, for the next few lessons anyway. Um, the English translation of what has just been uh, read, from the conditions of the prayer, brackets, is the intention. It is obligatory to specifically intend that exact prayer. It is not a condition, however, to intend to pray an obligatory prayer, or a prayer in its time, or a prayer after its time, or a supererogatory prayer, or to repeat a prayer. One makes that intention along with the opening takbir. However, it can be done a little before that as long as the time for the prayer has entered. If the intention is cut during the prayer, or there is some doubt, the prayer is invalidated. If one doubts their intention, the prayer is to be restarted. It is, that, yeah, that uh, uh, should have to be, just so that you don't think that it's automatically restarted. Uh, that makes, that, that's what it reads like, right? It's like if you, if you doubt the intention, the prayer resets. That's not, that's not correct. وَإِذَا شَكَّ فِيهَا إِسْتَأْنَفَهَا Meaning that he himself, the person himself, 
will restart the prayer. Yani, that he makes a decision, okay, I've messed up, I need to start the prayer again. So really the Arabic, really, I, I don't know what I was thinking there, but maybe I just didn't write what I was translating. It should say, if one doubts their intention, their own intention, the prayer is to be restarted. It is permissible for one praying their obligatory prayer alone to convert it to a supererogatory prayer if there is enough time remaining. However, converting an obligatory prayer to another obligatory prayer leads to both becoming invalid. So there's a lot of details, just the beginning of the chapter, a lot to discuss, and uh, some things might look a bit confusing, but as you know, uh, this is a short and sharp treaty. It's the humbly position. We'll be differing with quite a bit of it. Um, some parts yani, are obvious, some are not. So let's look at that, inshallah. So he says, And so from the conditions of the prayer is the niya. And this actually is, as Sheikh Uthameen says, it's the ninth condition and the final condition. And he then says, so if these are, if this is the ninth condition, what were the previous ones? And you need to write this down. If you have your writing notes, then you should write them down because he's going to say that the Imam Al-Hajjawi, he did not mention all of them. He goes, so the, the, the conditions for the prayer are nine. Islam, Muslim has to be Muslim. Al-Aqal, meaning a person has to have the ability to have an intellectual understanding. Okay? Understanding means that he's to be basically sane. That's what we're basically trying to say, sane. Uh, what tamiz? He has to have the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, to understand the only things at a mature level. That's normally around the age of seven, six, seven years old. Could be a late eight, could be an early six, but generally we're looking at a seven. Okay? What the holy waqt? We covered that. So the entrance of the time, the time has to have entered. That's a condition of the prayer. Wasitra aura, to cover the aura before the prayer. Okay, we cover that in detail. What taharat bin al hadith, to be pure from any ritual impurity, to be pure, to be in a state of purity after any ritual impurity. Okay, hadith. Wajtinabun najasa, that you have to avoid any presence of filth, and that is either on the body. Or in the on the on the body on the clothes in the area that we're praying we cover that in detail. qibla to face the qibla we covered that and just finished that now in detail last week's last lesson, and we used uh, it was nice because obviously uh, the last couple of lessons were from Medina, Medina yeah both both last two lessons Mecca and Medina, no both were in Medina yeah yeah both yeah both were recorded in Medina. Both lessons were in Medina, so we were able to actually use some of the mentality in, and how to uh, pray the exact direction, uh, like they were praying at the early time when they moved to Medina and the Qibla was still Al-Aqsa. And subhanAllah, I had an intention of doing something even else, more, more amazing, but that didn't work out. Um, but then also, alhamdulillah, before that, a couple of weeks before that, or was it the week before that, we did the, the, the thing with uh, Sheikh Yasser which is also good because it gave the context that, you know, a wider context of the Qibla and Al-Aqsa as well. And then the last one, which is now, is the Niyyah. Um, if you look at the chapter as we covered it, the author, what did he start with? He started with Al-Waqt. He said from the conditions of the prayer is the time. That means that he missed out. What did he miss out then? He missed out Islam and Aqal and Tamiz. And uh, Sheikh says... Um, that first of all, we don't need to make any excuses for the author because the author did not say that the conditions are. 
And that's why it's so very important to understand Arabic. He said, وَمِنْهَا وَمِنْ لِلْتَبْعِيدِ As we say. So the uh, min means from them, and from them, and from them. Indicating that there are more, but that he's not going to bother covering. Okay, so that's important. He didn't, he didn't even claim that he's mentioning all the conditions. It is a short essay as well. It's you know, obviously a short essay in terms of text. It's going to take us 50 years, but I mean, the point is, is it's still a short يعني, essay. It's a legal text, right? Um, so he left out يعني, the three. And Sheikh Uthameen, he says, وَذَلِكَ لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ الثَّلَاثَ شَرْطٌ فِي كُلِّ عِبَادَةِ سَوَى مَسْتُثْنِي I'm really happy that he said that at the end. He goes, the reason that he didn't mention these three, Islam and Aqal and uh, Tamiz, is because he goes, these three are a condition in every act of ibadah, and not specifically for salah, except that which is exempted. That last statement was very important. So, let's have a bit of fun. Which acts of ibadah are those exempted acts that maybe these are not a condition for? So we said, Islam, Aqal, and Tamiz. So that's to be a Muslim, to be sane, and to have the ability to understand, to be able to distinguish, are conditions for every single act of worship except some. What would be those examples? Dua. 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 Yes, technically speaking. Which one? There's no boundary between the dua and Correct, good. I was waiting to see which one were you going to, to take out, and that was the only one that you could take out. Islam would be the only one. So that is correct. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even responds to the, da'w, the dua of the non-Muslim. Good. Anything else? You said salah, did you? Okay, what did you say? What did you say? He said dua, you said something at the same time. What did you say? Yeah, I said song first. Okay, is it possible to fast without these three conditions? Well, fasting all the Quran as well, for example, I... Like for example. Then let's do a fasting first of all. Is fasting correct? Fasting, accepting is another point. But I mean, for people to just no, no. Of course, we only care about accepting. Who cares yeah, about? No, would you fast any for no reason like any non-Muslims do? <laughs> I think the old bagel there, by the way. You know, when Muslims say, "Hey, do you want to fast with us today?" In Ramadan, you know, they do that. That random yani ikhwan kind of move. Yeah, can you look all Let's fast today, and they fast, and they say, "Oh, we really touched yani." That inner nerve and we felt what it felt like. Bro, no, you felt hungry. That's all you felt. <laughs> That's all you felt. All you felt was hungry and thirsty and tired. And you know when they do the documentaries on them? I remember, I know that there's some people here who are involved in that, so I'm not going to cuss it too much. But, <laughs> I'm not going to cuss it, but I've always found that really weird. I've always found that really mega weird, to be honest. Because if you're going to invite someone to Islam in the view of Islam, I can think of a hundred better ways than inviting them to fast. Especially now at summertime. Maybe in winter time, you know, a couple of hours, you know, late breakfast and all that, that's all right. But making them do 18 hours slug. I don't, to, I don't need to imagine that that fast you make them do is as difficult, if not more difficult, than the first one that you do for Ramadan. Imagine, you're preparing for it mentally, everything, blah, 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 and you start to cut down your coffee and your caffeine and everything, and, you know, your food intake, and then bam, and your iman is taking you through, and you're, all your family. You're going to get this miskin non-Muslim who's not prepared, nothing, he's <laughs> expecting his 9 o'clock coffee, his 10 o'clock coffee, his 11 o'clock coffee, his 2 o'clock fag, his 8 o'clock fag, he's expecting all this, and bam, he gets slapped, and he for absolutely nothing. You kill the guy, and then you say, that's how it like to be Muslims. Allah ni kasmi reverse dawa. Reverse dawa. Anyway, so no, all, all these three conditions are required for fasting. So you're saying uh, it 
My exact question is that Sheikh Uthameen at the end, he said, these three have not been mentioned by Imam al-Hajjawi for the prayer as conditions for the prayer because they are conditions for every act of worship except those which are exempted. He threw that in because he knows that there are some acts which are exempted. We've had a very good one with dua. Dua is an act of worship and you do not need to be a Muslim to have your dua accepted. Giving protection? Giving protection. Uh, protection, you, you're talking about in war to, to, a, to, a, uh, and to an enemy who's basically been thinking, yeah, that's a bit random, but okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know how that's an act of worship, by the way, but um, act of treason, maybe, but I don't know how that's an act of worship. Well, I don't know about act of worship either, bro. If you came home as an eight-year-old and said to me, Baba, I gave this enemy yani, cover, I'll kick your head in, that's what I'll do. I wouldn't be saying, well done, Baba. Anyone? With regards to dua, I mean, because Sheikh is saying all three need to be present. Mm-hmm. So if you were to take the Islam out, what about sanity? With sanity, a person, how? Do yeah, no, I don't think I, I don't I don't think he's trying to say that all three of them at the same time. So, the reason he said exempted is just to indicate that these three are not are not. Z, z, are you trying to do a beat? Are you trying to do a beat uh, impression over there, bro? Zakat, zakat. Charity. Zakat. Charity. Zakat, zakat. Charity. Charity, sadaqa. What do you think about that? So we are trying to say that the non-Muslim who gives the charity is they being accepted by Allah? By accepted by Allah, and they will get reward for in the dunya because of that. I don't know about that. I don't think so. But Allah alam. I don't think so. Not charity. Well, not not sadaqa. Acceptance, of course. When we're talking about when we're talking about acceptance, we're not talking about getting back favor or good um, fortune or reward. We're talking about acceptance. Remember, when we're talking about anything that to talk about ibadah, the only thing we care about is acceptance. We don't care about uh, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel peaceful it makes me it gets me material gain acceptance means that allah has accepted it based on acceptance the person will get reward right what's reward what's reward i'm not talking yeah, reward in a dunya has no reward in a dunya is not acceptance <coughs> reward if you're talking about jaza in the akhirah this is this is called acceptance yeah so the irony is that sadaqa i can't see it but zakah as Shazad said, and I think you were going to say, yeah, and she was polite and you were very rude. Unbelievable. See that? That's a bully, proper bully, khas bully. Khas, proper bully he is. Yeah? This is what happens yani, when he gets out of the zone. We need to keep him here coming. You know what it is? I'm doing lessons from abroad, isn't it? Yeah? And he loves that. You know why? You know why he loves it? Why does he love it? Tell me. Because he does it from his bedroom. That's why. He lies down like that. And just clicks the button on, clicks the button off. This one here, yeah, Miskeen, I, I give it to him, he has to come, he has to create this nice shape. I admit you like the shape, by the way. Amazing, right? It's amazing, okay? Beautiful. And that is, <laughs> he's making, this, this, is, this is style, by the way. Look at the, look at the fence. The ba- barrier, whatever it is. <laughs> nice, he comes, it takes one hour a headache. 
he doesn't like it. You know, today was meant to be a double lesson, by the way, yeah? Yeah? Today was a double lesson. Shazad goes, don't kill me, please, beg, everything. And he changed it. Because he's fighting your corner, that's why. No need for that hate. No need for that hate, is there? There's no need. There's about 20 conversations that take place for one lesson. And about three no hours need. of time just setting it up just so it works. And then four hours of checking afterwards. No need for that. Right, where were we? Zakat. So Zakat is charity as well. In my opinion, Zakat does not require these conditions. You said it was obligatory. Yeah, I'm saying the interesting thing is, is that I can't see how these three conditions are not required for Sadaqah. But the interesting thing is that zakah, which is of course charity, but an obligatory form of chari- charity, I think for that, that's a very good example as well. Or actually, it's one of the main examples. That you do not need to be aqil, and neither do you need to have tamiz. You have to be Muslim. But these two conditions are not required, in my opinion. That's why a person who is mentally disabled and, and three years old or five years old or whatever, if they have an inheritance and a sum of money, the money is to be taken from them because it's a right of the poor. It doesn't matter. The Hanafis, they said something very interesting. They said no. They said there's no zakat upon children. And the reason they said that is exactly because of this chapter. They said zakat is an act of worship that has to have a niyyah. And anyone who does not have or cannot have a niyyah, then they can't do the act of worship. Which is why the Hanafis do not obligate zakah upon children. That is how important it is to understand the legal ramifications of niyyah. We say, correct, niyyah is a, uh, an, act, uh, 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 an obligatory requirement for worship. However, we will say that for zakah, we'll get around it like that. We'll say zakah doesn't need a niyyah. Okay? For the case of children... And for the mentally insane or exempt or whatever, because it's not there, it's it's a it's a we're kind of using kind of like a get around. We're saying that the reason that they they they're not going to need a niya, or, or even if they are, or, or you should have a niya, but if you can't make the niya, it doesn't matter. Is because the the poor have a right to your money anyway. So it's got to be taken from you if you've got over the threshold. Then it's got to be taken. So yeah, those are a few examples. That's the point. Yeah, it's about the wealth. Whereas the Hanafi said, no, it's about the people. What, what did Abdullah say about acceptance and, and, and reward? Uh, uh, Abdullah sort of saying that uh, if people get reward in his dunya, isn't that acceptance? And I said, no. Yeah, because Hajj is for the child, isn't it? Hajj, yeah, uh, c- c- correct. Hajj would be another example that wouldn't apply because Hajj can be done by a child and they get reward in the dunya for it, but it's not accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's also a bit, to be honest, a bit of 50 50 because. It's accepted in a way because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving reward for it, but not in the dunya, but in the akhirah. But it's not accepted as hajj. Yep, so hajj is a gray area. But anyway, you get the point. You was going to say? I'm confused with the question now. Okay. So the question was, is it possible to do an act of worship in Islam and these three conditions not have to be present? To be a Muslim, to be sane, and to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. Basically, have the ability to have some kind of age, seven, eight, nine years old kind of thing. And we've just given a number of examples that showed that... I, I, don't, I can't think of one particular act of worship where all three don't exist. Well, 
Because I don't think that would even work. Zikr from a non-Muslim? Jizya? From a mentally insane... Mentally insane child, yeah, non-Muslim? <laughs> that would be accepted from them, but it's not an act of worship. But going off what you said about uh, Hajj, yep. any act of worship can be done by a child. Yeah. But the, 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 the reason that Hajj was mentioned is because the Prophet ﷺ has specifically spoken about the, or the, 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 there's a consensus on the issue that a child, they'll get reward for it because of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, but still have to do Hajjul Islam, as they say. It's a little bit different from other, every other act of worship. Like, for example, a child doing Salah, they don't get any specific reward for it, other than things which are yani, just general kind of preparation and the. Uh, the reward that leads to the reward, and yani, Hajj is a little bit different. Anyway, all right. So, Sheikh says, what does the meaning? What is the meaning of niya? Niya means al qasd, to intend something, to want something. Qasd means to have an objective. Okay, that's the linguistic meaning. Intend to to want, to desire, to objectify something. That this is what I want. Wa amma fi as for in the Sharia, its legislative definition. It is al-azmu ala fi'l al-ibadah taqarruban ila Allah ta'ala. Fahiya al-azmu ala fi'l al-ibadah taqarruban ila Allah ta'ala. It is the determination to do an act of worship. It is, the, it is the determination to do an act of worship to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the, it is the determination to do an act of worship to get close to Allah the Most High. Okay? So it is not the act itself, it is a determination, a will, a desire, an intent to do something. To do what? An act of worship. Why? To get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the legal definition of a niyyah. And if all of those aspects are not there in the niyyah when you make it, the niyyah is not even done in the first place. Okay? So the niyyah to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it has to be for an act of worship. It has to be for done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get close to Him. Yeah? And it has to be a clear intention. It's not just a lame kind of wishy-washy kind of... It has to be clear. Um, Sheikh Uthameen says at the top of page 290, he says niyyah is divided into two parts. Niyyatul ma'mul lahu wa niyyatul amal. Number one, who one intends by... The action, okay? Who one intends? So who is it for? Who is the act for? And number two, what action is intended? So this is called al lahu al lahu. Who is the action intended for? Well, amal. What actual action are you intending? So just like you intend to do dhuhr, which is different to maghrib, which is different to giving sadaqah, which is different to hajj. These are the second types, all different types of niyyah. And the first type is you're doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're doing it for Birsab, you're doing it for Ganesh, you're doing it for Jesus, you're doing it, what is your, who are you doing this for? As a Christian, as a Hindu, as a Sikh, as a deviant Muslim, as an ignorant Muslim, and as a Muslim upon Tawheed. Who is your intention for? So, so niyatul amal, which is the second type, and the first type is niyatul ma'amul lahu. Yeah, so the niyyah for who the action is for. Al-ma'amul lahu. So, Sheikh says, it's the second one which, which concerns us. 
it's our business to worry about the second one. Because this is the area of the fuqaha. The jurists are involved. Because here, يَقْصُدُونَ مِنِ النِّيَّةِ النِّيَّةِ الَّتِي تَتَمَيَّزَ بِهَا الَّتِي تَتَمَيَّزُ بِهَا الْعِبَادَةِ عَنِ الْعِبَادَةِ Because this area is the area of the fuqaha to be able to work out which act of worship from another act of worship, which from a mistaken act of worship to correct the act of worship. This is the technical side that we're concerned with. The other side is entirely the area of aqidah. It's nothing to do with fiqh. Okay? It is, it is, التي يتكلم عليها أرباب السلوك فتذكر في التوحيد وهي أعظم من الأولى. It is spoken about with respect to the acts of worship in the general way. The path that one takes يعني, with ibadah in general. And it is greater than uh, the second. The first one is greater than the second. Because it is more important than the second. Because actually, the acceptance of the act is dependent upon the first one. Does that make sense? It doesn't matter if you get the actual act correct. So you came to the masjid and you were trying to work out, is it duhr time or asr time? And am I going to get the right intention to do the right act of worship? And you get it right. You made the correct intention for Asr. But if you do it for someone else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it's a waste of time. Whereas if you get it for right for the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake, and you mess up on the other type, we can work with that. We can work with that. We can find solutions. We can correct. We can make up. But we can't make up for someone who's doing it for the sake of someone else. You get my point? Yeah? So the first pun is most uh, important. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the hadith Qudsi, أنا أغني شركاء عن الشرك من عمل عملاً أشرك فيه معي غيري تركته وشركة. Whoever doesn't act uh, that they they share the right of, of, uh, of they share my right with someone else. I leave them and their shirk. I have rejected them and their shirk. I am free from the one who shares my right with others. I am independent and I'm completely free. Of anyone who does that. So this is the area of Tawheed and Aqeedah. And obviously we're not studying that. But let's at this opportunity just make that very very clear. That this is of course a very big thing. Okay. And I just want to just add a little bit of. I want to add something here folks. Okay. Which is. I don't want to enter into this big time. But I do, I do want to mention it. Because this was part of our discussions in Saudi now. Obviously I was in Mecca and Medina right now. And the, Saudi, the situation in Saudi is a very sensitive one at the moment. Okay, you are all students of knowledge, and you need to know some of these things. It's not just right that we speak about them behind the any closed doors and make out that you are all too silly to understand or young to understand. You need to understand this. Um, the dawah generally at the moment is going through a major upheaval, especially in Saudi, which is the land of Tawheed. It's the land of teaching Aqidah correctly and so on and so forth. And that is in no small part due to a couple of reformers along the way that came in and they corrected some of the bid'ah in Tawheed that used to exist in the Ottoman Empire and just generally across the Muslim world. And one of the early scholars that did this correction and da'wah was a man called Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, which is why people called the people from Saudi and the Salafis Wahhabis, taken from his name. This is a scholar who, no doubt he was a scholar, he was a humbly, strict humbly, but he was also pretty hardcore. And in my opinion, a number of mistakes in his aqidah and his uh, tawheed and his opinions with respect to how he dealt with the people who were doing bid'ah 
and other forms of quite serious mistakes. Now this is politically sensitive because of course the story as you know of the of Saudi Arabia is the Ottomans ran it, they had control, the British obviously were doing the imperial thing at that moment, it's the Ali Saud, you know, some, some tribal leaders, whatever, they wanted obviously the country back to be their own, blah, 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 I'm simplifying things massively. They used British help, got rid of the Ottomans, put Ali Saud into power, it became Saudi Arabia. And that did not happen in any clean or nice way. Thousands upon, maybe even hundreds of that, I don't know. The, 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 I, to be honest, I don't really bother myself with the details because I'm not fussed with it. But I know that thousands of people were killed uh, uh, in that. And, uh, you know, politically you can argue whether it was good or a bad thing. Who knows? I mean, the Ottoman Empire fell later anyway. Maybe this was one of the key reasons as well. You could be argued. Yasser Qadi's lecture on this is very important. Very good. Two parts on the Ottoman Empire. Or what's it called? What's it called? I think we gave the link to it in the... We did, yeah. If you go back three, four lessons, the link is in the, 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 the portal. Click on it. He gives the, 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 the actual details. You know, it's not something that I really care too much about because I've always known yeah, how rubbish the people are, so I don't really care. But go and educate yourself on how, how it happened. The point is this, is Ali Saud, in order to get the people and this scholar, he could see that, you know, this leader, he has got a religious kind of, you know, side to him, so we can use him to spread the Tao of Tawheed. However, in the spreading of the Tao of Tawheed, that zealousness got a little bit to a whole different level, where they focused on the bid'ah and some of the shirki practices, and they used the shirki kind of word in English, uh, to indicate that we are talking there, thereabouts, as opposed to 100% yani being shirk outright, there were these practices that were to be frowned upon big time. However, Muhammad ibn Wahhab, in his Kitab al-Tawheed, and his book upon Tawheed and so on, he declared these acts to be shirk. And as you know, what you can see, and this is where the sensitivity is, is now coming in, the major jihadi kind of movements over the last 20, 30 years, maybe you can go even earlier, They've always classically depended upon the early times of making a person exit from Islam, therefore making their blood halal, therefore allowing them to be killed under Islamic law. Which is what you see Qaeda and Daesh doing all the time. Making takfir first, once takfir is done, then their blood is to be, then, you know, so then the punishments come, you're to be killed because of this, you're to be killed because of that. And it's the Muslims who are the focus, alright? That's what the Khawarij did in the early years, at the time of Ali Uthman. And that's what, every time they've put their head up, they've come back to that. ISIS are the perfect example. Now, obviously the political pressure coming from the West has always been the case that Saudi Arabia is funding terrorism, it's the ideology of terrorism. And you know what, obviously the Muslims look at you know, the, the West and you know, just give them a big slap because they are the world's worst terrorists without a shadow of a doubt. And they ignore it. However, the truth, as always, is somewhere in the middle. And the truth is, is that there's no doubt that this little step forward of Making a person that has the, uh, that for example, like the Ottomans and like many of the Bedouins, even in Saudi Arabia, whether that's their own thing or whether influenced from the ruling powers, they would go and go to a grave and they would ask the, 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 the inhabitant of the grave, give me children, give me this, give me that, okay? Which we all know in our culture happens in Pakistan and Egypt and so on and so forth, yeah? Um, and that was shirk, without any shadow of a doubt makes you out of the religion, therefore capital punishment is allowed upon them, whatever that, that, you know, how that thing. I'm simplifying this massively, okay? Now, what did the majority of the scholars, and what have they always said, the majority? They have said that this is a bid'ah, mukaffara, 
or bid'ah ghaliyadah. And they have their own little terms, but the point is that they said that this is innovation which is incredibly serious. Or an innovation which is incredibly dangerous. But they never considered it to be, and this is the vast majority of scholars, they never considered it to make you kafir. They never considered it to make you mushrik. Until that moment comes where you actually intend, and here's why I'm mentioning it, that you are being answered by that person, not by Allah. Whereas the majority of scholars said that this action is an action of bid'ah, an action, an action of kufr even. However, they are not kufar because they do not believe that it's the dead one who's giving them the child and the money and the whatever. Rather, they believe that that dead one is closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has a direct line because they've passed to the other side, or they were a better person than I was. Therefore, they have that possibility, a better chance of answering my dua via asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, if you ask, you're a random brelvi, yeah? You're random kind of Sufi who does this kind of stuff. If you ask them, why do you go to a grave and which is complete brainless and stupidity? We get that. Or asking their peer to give us child and Allah did that and all this kind of you know, peer did that. What do they call them? Peer did that. Yeah, Allah did that is okay, isn't it? Better Yeah. Yeah. If you were to go and ask them, majority of the people they'll say, I don't believe that He gives it to me, but I believe that He has the power to ask Allah or to get it from Allah, and so. Like I said, the people who are applying Kitab Tawheed, you know, letter by letter, they've been taking from those books back then, which have had consistent commentaries, even by our own Sheikh, Sheikh Uthameen as well. And the humbly scholars throughout have supported these opinions, all right, that this actually will lead to kufr, and therefore, you know. And the argument has always been, do our current scholars, the Bin Bazis, his teacher, the Muhammad Ibn Ibrahims, their teachers, and then the later ones as well, have they therefore meant that every single person that does this act, have they been kafir? Or is the act an act of kufr and anyone who then comes under it, then we have to give individual rulings? And that is what contemporary scholars are arguing about all the time. In this defensive moment where the West are putting pressure on, you hear now the statements from the Salafis and from the people that have been yani, studying these kind of books and whatever, is that, well actually, no... None of our scholars ever said that individuals are kafir, but rather it's a case-by-case basis. We will speak to them individually, establish the rulings and whatever. And if that is the correct interpretation of their books and their rulings, then fair enough. Then, okay, at least you stop from saying that. However, the, the truth seems to be that by their practice against the Uthmanis, that wasn't the case. And they applied it en masse. And that's why so many were killed. And that's why there's such an issue and, and blood stains on the history of the Saudi Empire and so on and so forth. Now, why is this relevant now? Because this MBS now, okay, the son of Salman, okay, King Salman, who's now running the country effectively, who's now brought in all, brought in all the new economic plans, brought in all the new boycotts. He's the one who's leading the Yemen war, destroying the Yanina country. Whether there's a righteous Yanina fight at the heart of it against Iranians, I get that. But the rest of it, nonsense, and creating the greatest Yanina catastrophe, even worse than Syria, which we can't even imagine that could be possible, okay? And then all the other stuff which is happening against Qatar and whatever, all the basic Muslims, or against Turkey, whatever. This is all this guy, and he is doing this under pressure, not just from America. I don't want you to think that because Trump suddenly went over there and he told them, you've got to clean your act. No, there has been this awareness in the last 20 years, 10, 15 years, that you know what, our history isn't as clean as it could be. And maybe it is true that there has been some kind of... Uh, contribution to extremist thought. Sheikh Ehlan was in this gathering with me. One of the major reformers who calls himself a reformer was there. Sheikh Walid was there. Yasir Qadi was there. There were a number of us there. And there were scholars that were arguing back and forth. 
and it was a very yani, heated argument because the idea is is that uh, like people like this Sharif Hatim al-Auni, uh, the one who is like you know seeing himself as the big spearhead Islamically of fighting against this ideology of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab as a Saudi, as a scholar, as a Sunni scholar as well. His argument is that every extremist today quotes Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, which is utter nonsense, by the way, because. When you look at some of the people who go around killing people and blowing themselves up, they don't even know who Muhammad Ibn Wahab is. They'll go out there and they'll just say, what's happening in Palestine, what's happening here, what's happening there. Meaning this is not so straightforward. It's not just so simple that, yeah, it's just Saudi, it's Wahhabi Aqidah, that's mess. No, it has got a part to play. We need to correct that aspect, that just because someone does bid'ah and kufr does not make them kafir. Until they actually believe and their intention is very clear. Until that moment that intention has some space, we'll make excuses. And I'm, I'm simplifying a very detailed area of aqidah, by the way. Okay? Because now we're going to enter into the issue of al-udhr bil-jahl. Can ignorance be an excuse for a person? Can a person's good intention be an excuse yani when they do kufar? Is that possible? Then if that's the case, then what kind of excuses are we going to make for non-Muslims? You know what I'm trying to say? It's a messy area. And I, maybe I shouldn't have gone into it, but it is important for you to understand that this discussion is happening right now. And there are people who are on the back foot, and there are others that are saying we never did anything wrong. We never said that people are kufar, people who took that their own incorrect understanding, and they applied it, but we never said that. And we said always it's a case-by-case basis. Whatever it is that's happening, don't think that it's all wrong. Don't think that the reform movement's all wrong. Don't think that Trump is the reason for everything behind it. Don't think that the haqid is to blame for everything. Always be critical of what you're reading and studying. Always be critical of your teachers and all of their backgrounds. Everyone is carrying baggage. Everyone's opinion yani, is to be challenged. Okay, And this is an area that you just need to be aware of. What's happening on the, on the front pages is not what the truth is. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of things happening. And the current young Saudi leadership, they want to break chains or break chains entirely with their heritage. Okay? And that's very difficult for them because the people are very connected to their scholars. And those scholars are still, aqidah points of view, connected to the teaching of Ibn Abdul Wahhab, even though they've reformed it quite significantly. And that's correct. And what they're upon now is correct and good. And if the reformists have had a positive effect, then that is a good positive effect, that we don't consider people who make this sin. We were never upon it. A number of people were never upon it. I never used to believe that. And when I studied Aqidah there, but that was because I had teachers that were actually considering, considering, considered the majority position of Ahl-Sunnah. But anyway, it goes, it, it, there's, there's, a, there's a big discussion there. The point is this, is that the niyyah of who you're worshipping and what you're doing actually at the original level, who the act is for, is essential and is far more important than the actual act itself. Okay, anyway. Um, so, وَنِيَّةُ amal. Different acts of worship are specified only by the intention. That's his power. When you stand up at Asr time, that could be Dhuhr. It totally could. Especially if you're someone who is making, combining the prayers, right? You've come in and you didn't pray Dhuhr and you came in, it could be Dhuhr. The only thing that's going to make your act Dhuhr or Asr is going to be the intention. From the outside, no one can tell you're doing anything different at all. So that's what the niyyah is for. And this is based upon the Prophet ﷺ when he said, Int- Actions are only by intention. They can only be yani, based upon intention. And indeed for every single individual is that what they intended. And that's the most important statement 
that will establish the law in this uh, section. So Sheikh says, so we need to yani, consider two very, very important uh, points. Awalan, that, that as a conclusion of understanding all this, he summarizes, he says, therefore we can conclude with two points. The first, that we must consider and be aware to make our actions for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And if this intention is combined with any other, the act is invalidated. So for example, if a person stands to pray so that other people can see them praying, then this act is invalidated because he has not made his intention for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. That's why this is so important. And we will give a few seconds to this, okay? You are making your act invalidated, your salah, every time that you are more impressed or more concerned by someone else other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the act of salah, it has to be for Allah alone. Okay? And if you are not perfecting it for Allah's sake, but you are because you hear that someone is now walked in and they're watching you, or you're, you know, when you're young and like these kids, they just, you know, they just jump off their bed suddenly when they hear, you know, someone come and they pretend to pray. So Allah didn't get them jumped off their bread, but the, the, the bed, but the, when the parents come in, it makes them, yep. And we've all been there. We know, we know exactly what that means. That's, yani, except for them as a kid, but anything else is, is impossible. And then, I've said this in a number of lectures before, it's got to be my favorite anecdote, my favorite anecdote, okay, about the prayer. There was a person, he came into a masjid, masjid is a uh, Muslim country, completely empty. So he comes in and he starts praying. And as he starts praying, normal prayer, normal standard, masjid empty. I don't want to say lazy, but normal prayer. He hears the masjid door open, so he now realizes that someone's come in, and that person doesn't go past them. Like, you know, like you would in this masjid, if you walk past them to go to wudu. So, you know what that, what that person's thinking, okay, that person's behind me now, and could be sitting there, could be watching me, whatever, but now I'm gonna, you know, now I'm on my, on my best kind of moves now. So he's this... And he elongates his sujood and he sits up nice and then goes for sujda and nice. Elongates the prayer two, three times more than what he normally would. And then he gives a salam. And then, you know, he styles it out, kind of thing, has a casual look over his shoulder to see who the person is. And he looks at the door and actually still remaining in the door is a dog that's walked in from the road. Push the door open, just standing there watching him. Right? <laughs> I mean, which is insane to be honest because that could be so obviously a correct scenario in Muslim countries that that does happen animals do come into the beginning part and obviously even if it was a human being it doesn't change the story the point is is that the man realized how much that he had humiliated himself but if that was a man he would not have felt it but he has still humiliated himself the fact that it was a dog just made him feel the humiliation more now for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake he didn't yani, put it on the best show that he could have he did it for someone else. And this, of course, the Prophet ﷺ actually, forget the stories, the Prophet ﷺ spoke about this in a very famous hadith, the hadith of Riyah. And Riyah is known as the hidden shirk, because it's not obvious. You're not going to go and worship in front of an idol, you're not going to go and feed Ganesh, or the elephant thing, or whatever it is. Yeah? You're not going to do it. Alright? That's the obvious one. This is the hidden one. You're doing it all the time, not even realizing it. And the Prophet ﷺ gave the analogy for it. It's like, yeah, and you're spotting black hand on a black stone, on a black night, with absolutely no moon, you can't even see it, but it's right there, okay? It's an insidious one, 
and everyone's at threat of it. Yani they're doing an act and then they start to embellish it because of surrounding circumstances. That is where it starts to go pear-shaped. So that's my reminder to myself and to everyone to be very, very careful of the most important aspect of niyyah, al-niyyatul ma'mul lahu, the niyyah for whom the act is for. You are only doing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want, to say, I, want you, I want you to say, I want you to know, it's very easy, very, very, I'm telling you from personal experience, very easy to fall into this trap. Okay? It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be uh, perfecting your prayer. It can be, for example, you knowing the surah that, that it is and you are chiming along or you're dropping hands. I found that I did that so often that when you know that a surah is finished and you're just getting ready to go into the next, sec- next se- section. If you're someone like myself, I drop my hands regularly, for example. Because that's, I believe it's to be a sunnah. I believe it. We, we'll come to that when we, when, we cover, when we cover that section. I believe that the hands position of the Prophet ﷺ is one of those unique sunnah which is a bit controversial, but I believe that it was all of them. I find it difficult to accept that companions of the Prophet ﷺ, younger companions, preserved in Medina, uh, a, 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 the, the, the hands at the, at the side, and it not have been witnessed from the Prophet ﷺ. I find it easier for the hands to be underneath the navel to, have, to not be, to be abrogated. I find that easier to understand. I know that the hadith are weak and we're going to be covering that again in detail. But what seems to me is that I think all of these hadith would indicate that the fact that not a single scholar that worth his salt in the history of fiqh ever made the hand position and obligation of the prayer, all of them by consensus said it's only a sunnah of the prayer, indicates to me that it's a combination of all and whatever. So anyway, the point is is that uh, if I'm praying for a long period of time or whatever, I will drop my hands and then go back up again. It keeps my focus going. I don't like going into a zone. Everyone should not want to get into a zone, you know, where it gets boring and you just stay there frozen. To move Yani a bit in the prayer, I think is good. Now, when you're into the habit of dropping hands, it becomes very easy to drop your hands when the sword is finished. You get what I'm trying to say? And that's also a, a form of riya, right? It can be perceived like that. I'm just yani, advising folks that you improving your acts of worship just because of other people is something you've got to be careful of. At the same time, we don't want to give every single person worse worse and forget, and then mess up another very important area of deen, which is to set a good example for other people. Okay? But that's a very clear, different thing. So for example, if I'm seeing you guys not praying enough sunnah, and I stand up and I say, yalla, let's pray sunnah. And I stand up to pray sunnah. And I did that entirely for your sake, so that you guys can see me do it. That's Okay. Does that make sense? That's entirely different. Because I'm not saying to you that I am great because I'm doing sunnah. I'm saying, guys, we all need to do more sunnah. That's the difference between a person who establishes a good sunnah or does an act so that other people can be encouraged to do it. And there is a fine line. There is a fine line. But I think people are sensible enough to work it out. Okay? So that's the first most important uh, uh, point that Sheikh Uthameen makes. He goes... The second is to make sure that we master the intention to be able to distinguish between one act and uh, uh, another. And how do people normally do that? How do people normally do that? Verbalize it. So they say, Okay. 
Oh, mein ja nicht banta hu. You absolutely useless pack. What did you say? Mein zada. Wait, wait, wait. Zada net kom? Zara da khlasa. What? Net me otaro. Net me otaro. I tied my net. Zara da khlasa. Purely. The, the, purely for the sake of every every language has it. That's the Pukhdo version, ish. And then the the pack version, the Urdu one, I think is. Yeah, oh, slow down, slow down. Let's get it right. Go on. No, Okay, man. Useless Paki. AZ, by the way, is rejected in Urdu forever, by the way. He quoted to me something entirely different. Shaz is there, look, he's, look at that, he's going, uh, Shaz is trying to work it out. Me. 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 Allah ke liye Moon mein Not this way but Qibla Sharif mein Yes They do addition Yeah let's have some Let's have some additions Come on let's get funky Let's add some Khas li Allah ke liye Allah ke liye Allah ke liye Allah ke liye Yes Moon mein Qibla Sharif Okay It gets funky in Eid Yeah Check takbir ke saath yeah. She's she's Zaid Takbir. Acha. with her no no the Dorakat Vajib. Vitter Vaj no Vitter Vajib Vajib. That's Vitter Vitter is Tina Kat Vitter Vajib. I don't know. So the point is is that and by the way, just because obviously most people most most packs here, we don't have our Somali Yani uh, attendance here today. Okay. Um they have the same exact same one, by the way, in Somali. And the Arabs have the same one. And let's connect, Sheikh. Huh? Hold on, I'm going to go to the Arabia. Hey. Ali, 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 you're going to tell me, Ali, for the Sugar. Hey, well, Inni Nawaitu Osali. Aha. Zahar. Fardan. أربع ركعات لله تعالى حاضرا يا منفر يعني by myself يعني or in a جماعة because we forgot you see إمام كبيجي yeah you see he said that منفردا أو أو كيف يعني بعد إمام مؤتما okay طيب هل يذكر القبلة لا يذكر الجهة يعني خلاص أنتم يعني خربت العمل يدن الباكسانين يعني طيب خلاص لله تعالى الله أكبر so you see that's the Arab version the whole world's nations have all been taught that when they were young and not just when they were young for the last 1200 years by the way that's something amazing just true maybe we got to do an English version I stand here ya Allah praying Four no, I make intention intention to help pray four units of the early afternoon prayer. <laughs> the obligatory early afternoon prayer. Sincerely for God's sake. Pointing towards Jerusalem. Oh no, no, hold on. That was the back then. Yeah? 
See, I'm being affected by Mecca, towards Mecca. Behind the high priest. Behind the high priest. <laughs> What's going on? What is going on to this lesson? What is going on to this lesson? Oh my God. Right, anyway. I don't know about that, but I'll tell, tell you what's interesting. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by this. I think that there is definitely a social reason for this, okay? I cannot easily explain why the Arabs have one. I can, I have a very strong theory for why the rest of the world has it. I have a theory that the Arabs joined in later when they became further away from Arabic and their deen. But in the early years, when, this is my theory. My theory is, is that when Islam started to spread after the, 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 the generations of the early Salaf, the early couple of hundred years, and people were new to the religion, both in knowledge and especially the Arabic language, but mostly knowledge and mostly quality. And quality started to decrease, education not very great, and the Arabic language and connection to the meaning of the Salah becomes weak. I think what happens is that people then start to lose their confidence in their ability. And when they went to the scholars time after time with these issues that I'm not sure what I'm intending, I'm not sure how I'm doing it, I'm not sure whatever. Because let me just, I, I didn't give you, this, I didn't make the disclaimer first. Never has this statement been said by the Prophet or by the companions, or by the tabi'in, or the atba' tabi'in, or the early, not a single word or a sniff of it. There has never ever been such a thing as a verbal intention. It is purely and entirely a bid'ah, a pure innovation, which came into the nation, I think, because of a need. And that need was people not being able to focus, people not being able to understand how and what the parameters are and the ability to be able to defeat shaitan. Because you've got to have confidence. You, could, you will only recognize this. If you've been doing your intention by heart and never saying anything for a long time, you don't understand the struggle. But I, I want you to go back to the day, the day that you were told that you never had to say niya. Okay? Go back to that day and imagine how hard it was, how weird it felt that you stand there and I'm not about to say anything. And people lose their confidence and they start to doubt themselves. Then after a couple of days and a week or two, they're into it and they feel comfortable and then they realize all that time that of course I was intending to pray Zuhur. What else was I intending to pray when I left home? And of course I was doing... And people didn't realize how silly the whole thing is. But we trained all of our people into that mode of behavior. And it became a universal mode of behavior. So that's what I think is the social reason. I also want to say that um, I think the Hanafi school played a major part in this. The Hanafi school has always been the biggest school of fiqh, of law. It's always had the most followers. And it's always been the most non-Arab. So it would have the highest number of followers of this particular practice. I think that they had a major impact upon the world as well. And I think there are different reasons, but I think these are some of the reasons. The scholars, along the way, they would be aware that this is bid'ah. In fact, actually, you'll find some of the major imams throughout the history, they've always, always put their hands up and they've said that this is technically a bid'ah. There's definitely no basis for this, but we're just teaching the people because they need it. And you know, Muslims... As you're going to see when we come to the section on combining the prayer and difficult issues, they do the majority. They do actually prefer simple, straightforward, just tell me what to do and that's it. Stop thinking me, stop making me make decisions. Don't tell me that I've got to make my own mind up whether when I go to Bradford I combine or not. Is it 48 miles? Is it 40 miles? Is it? Just tell me 50 miles wherever I go and I'm happy with that. But don't say to me I've got to make my own decision when I go Sheffield. Or I've got to make my own decision when I go Liverpool. 
and I've got to work out, am I a traveler or not? Don't tell me that if I'm going to on a plane, can I pray at home or not, whatever. Just tell me the rules. Say to me, you can't pray at home. You've got to be outside the city limits. You've got to have packed your bags. You've got to be, you know what I'm saying? Just tell me straight. Tell me the miles. Tell me the whatever. Tell me when I get. They don't say to me, do you feel like a traveler when you're there? Just say to me, I've got 15 days. If I stay for longer, I'm a traveler. If I'm not, then I'm. Just say to me, four days. Just say to me, 20 prayers. Nice and simple. Because the alternative to all of this is, do you feel like a traveler at home? Yes, I pack my bags. Are you feeling in difficulty and need the, any of the issue? Yes, I do. Do you think that you're going to Sheffield is like, you know, the mission of all missions? Yes, I absolutely do. Do you feel like when you go to Sheffield that you're not going to get any some proper cooking? Absolutely. Will you feel like a stranger when you're in Sheffield or in Liverpool? Absolutely. Okay. Do I, when I get to my location and I'm staying in a hotel, do I feel like I'm a resident of the area or do I, I feel like I have to keep searching on Google and I feel like a foreign tourist that could try to find, you know, a halal place to eat? That's yes, that's me. So then you want to make that decision? Uh, I can't risk making that decision. You get what I'm trying to say? So it's either that approach to fiqh or you take the madhab, taqlidi approach and that's always going to win every single time with the vast majority of people. You get what I'm saying? So the same with salah. When you tell a person, you just need to just intend in your heart what you're doing, and that's it. Don't make it more complicated. That's actually terrifying. It's actually terrifying. Can I, can I say that the person who goes the Madhabi Taqlidi way, yeah. he's being more responsible. Uh, he's being more responsible, meaning he's being more safe, you mean? Yes. Only if you believe that's the safer way. Well, he's not taking the risk and he's saying, like, I'm just going to go with what's safe. So that's a logical argument, right? Is that possible? That's like saying that, you know what it is? I mean, it's not the same. But it's the same logic as saying, I never saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala respond to my dua. So you know what? Let me go and ask the one who's died who was a saint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's the more log- logical thing to do. It's a safe thing to do. He got, he got all... <laughs> He got all his du'as answered in his life. I never got any du'as. The, sa- the safer is not necessarily... If something is bid'ah, and, it's, and because what's bid'ah? Bid'ah is something which you condition into the religion expecting an act that can only be done according to it. See, initially I believe that the scholars that gave this idea and theory never considered it to be part of the religion. However, once it becomes absolutely steadfast, key aspect of the religion, we have another act of worship. Now, I can tell you right now the proof of that. You get a guy and say to him, I don't want you to say niya. Start your prayer. He won't. He'll be like, he'll be frozen. He won't be able to do salah without saying the niya. What's happened to him? He's psychologically become programmed. And that is what a bid'ah is. A person cannot believe that an act of worship will be sound without it. If that's the case, it better be an act of worship. Otherwise, it's an innovation. So that's the problem. And we need to fix that. So Sheikh Uthameen says, I'm going to translate to you the entire page and this will be the last thing that we do today. He goes, Wa'alam. He goes, no. That the niya, its place is the heart. <coughs> and that is why the Prophet ﷺ said that every action is by its intention and indeed every single person will get that which they intended. It is not an action of the limbs. That is why we say, to verbalize it is an innovation, a bid'ah. It is not sunnah for a person that when they 
want to do an act of worship, for them to say, Oh Allah, I intended this, or I wanted that. Neither saying that aloud or saying that quietly. Because that has not been narrated from the Messenger of Allah wasallam, And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that which is in the hearts. So there is no need to articulate with your tongue to indicate what's in your heart. This is not a dhikr. فَهَذَا لَيْسَ بِذِكْرٍ حَتَّى يُنْتَقْ بِهِ بِهِ الْلِسَانِ This is not a dhikr that needs to be articulated in dhikr. I just want to stop here for a second and remind, I mean, I've got, obviously I've got my uh, Hajj and Umrah group folks here and we went into a lot of detail in this when we spoke about dhikr. I think also in the surah of uh, Al-Imran, I think, fitna, yeah. Okay, anyone who's done fitna as well. I want to remind everyone what, what dhikr is. Alright, because it's very beautiful to understand it like this. Dhikr has three aspects. The mind, the heart, and then the tongue. When we say zikr, people always think that zikr is just saying some spana, 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 whatever it is, yeah? Actually, zikr, the first, is the mind or the, the senses. I'll say the senses, it makes it easier. The senses perceive something. You go out, you see an accident near about to happen, and then suddenly it's averted. That was the senses noticing something crazy happened. Okay? Something amazing happened. Something different happened. So the senses perceive that, not only in terms of I see it, but they process it as something amazing, which then pushes it onto the heart. The heart then remembers Allah as a result of it. So the heart goes, wow. Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected this person at that moment. Then the tongue expresses it, and you say subhanallah, and you get rewarded for it. Do you understand? So dhikr is a three-part process. Now the, the, the reality is that everyone is doing this first two parts, but they're not re- recognizing it's happening. So it doesn't matter whether the person just got saved by an accident, or you're sitting after salah going, subhanallah, subhanallah, subhanallah. Your mind knows that I'm doing this because this is what you do after the prayer. Your heart is recognizing that this is an act of worship where you're praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you're feeling relaxed and you're enjoying it. And the final expression of the tongue makes it a legislated action because a dhikr is legislated to say out with your tongue, to remember. So what happened, that's why it's called dhikr, from dhikr. You remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some reason and then you expressed the thanks or the appropriate phrase that fits dhikr. That's what dhikr is, that three-part process. So you always, that's why the dhakirin, dhakirin Allah kathira wa dhakirat, as Allah mentions in the, in the Quran, are not people who sit there in the corner going, spas, 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 spas. no. There are people who are active in society, always thinking about everything, taking everything, every single thing that they see in, processing it, letting it have the positive impact upon the heart like it should, or the negative impact and the lesson from it like it should, seeing a crime for example, or seeing someone sin, and they think, subhanAllah, may Allah protect me from that. And they have to say as well, astaghfirullah. Or, wal-ayyadu billah. They say something yani, accordingly. Does that make sense? So, that is yani, the, the entire process. That make, yani, you get what I'm trying to say. So, ha, so that's why it's important. فَهَذَا لَيْسَ بِذِكْرٍ حَتَّى يُنْتَقْ فِيهِ بِهِ الْلِسَانِ The niyyah is not a zikr, so that the final part needs to be completed by the tongue. Now we get what he's saying now. It stays in the heart. It doesn't actually go onto the tongue. Uh-huh. Indeed, it is only an intention which exists in the heart. There is no difference. 
And he now mentions something which is a difference of opinion. It's a, it's a, it's a con- not, not controversial, but it's a difference of opinion. He goes on, by the way, he goes, this is not just in prayer and in wudu and in fasting and in whatever. This is also in hajj as well. Now, why does he mention that? Because in hajj, scholars said that, that the hajj and umrah is the only act that has a verbal intention. Yeah? لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ عُمْرَةً لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ حَجٍ Actually, the correct opinion is what? The correct opinion is that this is never and never was the niyyah. This is a zikr of talbiyyah. And that was Sheikh Uthameen's opinion from a long time. And actually, a number of scholars, in fairness. And it's, it's the correct one. When you say labayk, we only understand labayk to be what? Talbiyyah. And talbiyyah is what? It is the specific zikr of hajj and umrah. So people are thinking, labayk, Allahumma labayk, labayk, that is the talbiyyah. Actually, the first one that kicks everything off is the labayk. It's almost to say that this is the initial opening dhikr of you being the hajj or the mu'tamir, the one who's kicking off. The intention, Habibi, was there when you put on that yani, horrible cloth, this, that, mission, blah, blah, had your shower, done this, that, come to the miqat. What on earth are you doing? You're not going on a party, are you? Right? Intention is done. <laughs> Why are you talking about hajj groups like that for, bro? So... Do you know what I'm trying to say? The intention is done. You're not there for any other reason. You're not going to any other place. You're not, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? So, he therefore says, um, uh, So therefore, it's not sunnah for, uh, for uh, 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 a person to say, Allahumma inni nawaitul umrah. That is what it would be. If you were really making intention for hajj and umrah, that's what it would be, Oh Allah, I intend umrah. Allahumma inni nawaitul umrah. Or Allahumma inni nawaitul hajj. لأنه لم ينقل عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. It has not been narrated from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. ولكن يلبي بما نوى. Rather, he makes talbiyah with that which he intended. لبيك اللهم عمرة. Then لبيك اللهم لبيك. You see, وتلبيه غير الإخبار بالنية. لأن تلبيه تتضمن الإجابة لله. فيها فهي بنفسها ذكر ليست إخبار عما في القلب. ولهذا يقول القائل. Labbaik Umrah or Labbaik Hajjah. Yani the Labbaik, when you say it, is not an articulation of the niyyah, it's an articulation of your response to Allah. Allah called you, you say Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. Labbaik Ya Allah, I'm here. It's not a niyyah. The niyyah is in the heart to do the act. Labbaik, the dhikr, is that I have responded to your call. It's a dhikr. It's part of the act of worship, not the intention for the act of worship itself. Naam. He said, yes. However, it is correct that at the act of intention, at, at the onset of the Hajj and Umrah, that there is an articulation of another statement, a condition that you put, a precondition, that if something was to go wrong, then in habastani, that if something happens to me, menstruation kicks in, I give birth. I have some accident, I have a major illness because I suffer illness already, and it comes again, and therefore I have to cancel. I don't have to pay a fidya, I don't have to pay compensation because I'm breaking the hajj, and whatever. Now, Sheikh Uthameen makes a point here, he goes, this is a niyyah in the heart that you would say. But this one is articulated. Why is it yani, articulated? Because that was something that the Prophet ﷺ himself established. So it's not like a niyyah per se. Okay? Uh... So you say when habasani habasun from a hilly hate habastani. Yeah. So I think that's yani, enough as an introduction. That's good actually because I mean we didn't actually say anything, did we? 
Which is still okay. At least we covered the... I mean, I did the introduction. Don't be, don't be hating, bro. It's three pages there, bro. Let's do some Q&As on thinking. So you're saying that, you know, uh, the, those... Uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, If you need to use the expression, then you need to use the expression, but you He goes that if there's a person who needs to put a condition in for himself to protect himself, a disclaimer, then he needs to say that. But he has to. He has to. He actually says, he should say that, then he goes, actually, لا بد أن يتلفظ. He goes, actually, he must do it. That's an exception to the rule. It's a precaution. Or... It's reco- no, no. It can't be a precaution. It's bid'ah to just say, hey, in case I get ill. When there's no reason for you. Like for a male to say, in case I, you know, give birth. <laughs> for the male to say, in case my wife gives birth, for example. No, he would know. Okay, let me say something else. I don't know, but anyway, the point is, is that yeah, in case I, I, in case I get cancer, that's a good one. In case I get cancer, for in habasini habis hada. Yes, it could. Habibi, you can get a, a stage five, recognize it like that. You realized it, not like that. Obviously, it's going through the stages. And once you realize, up until then, up until then, I've lost my appetite. Up until then, don't know what's going on. How many people realize in stage four and five? No. Yeah, pack, yeah, I'm giving you an example of what you can't say, not what you can. Yeah. Bloody hell. That's the problem. That's the problem. No one flipping listens, innit? man. Let's start again. You can't say, if I get cancer, yeah, then I want to get out without compensation. Why? Because you don't get cancer just like that. You happy with that, now? So anyway, but let's not get into Hajj and Umrah Fiqh anyway. But uh, yeah, let's do questions, yes. So just verbalizing the niyyah. Yes. Right. Yeah. In any way, invalidate the niyyah of the heart. No. Does... Inver- does MashaAllah. I just want to say that today is obviously party day, yeah, because we need to go away more often. Can we get these open? Because I'll be here all day opening them. But you know what, before we open them, let's just make sure everyone realizes what they're missing. Because. Okay? Anyone else want to just add something to the party? No? Okay. Well, can we get these open? And shared out, please. Okay, so the question is, does this bid'ah of articulating the niyyah invalidate what is in the heart? And I guess by that, what you're trying to say is that can it ever be a... What's your, what's your intention by that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt that it has benefits. You're trying to say, it's just a tool, correct. You're trying to say that, okay, we get it. But it helps me. So is it a problem? That's what you actually want to say. Yeah, because you've worded it in the wrong way. Yeah. So the answer is that you're absolutely right that it definitely helps a lot of people. But we can't have it. It, does invad- it doesn't invalidate, it's haram. For the person who does it without knowledge, sorry, for the person who knows, who does it with knowledge, it's not permissible. The one who does it knowing the issues around it, it's not permissible. 
It's as simple as me saying to you, the Prophet ﷺ did not do this, and you are putting this into your deen. Are you going to go ahead with it? You're going to say, yes, I am. It's unthinkable that you'd say that. Whereas you say to a person, you know, you say to a person that, um, pass it around, sister's only got three, so never more than a few there. Um, if you say to a person, most people, they ask them, they haven't got clueless bid'ah, and for them it's the greatest thing ever, as I said. So for them it's, not, it's nothing serious. It's bid'ah, and it should be educated. It should be educated, because it doesn't have a basis. We want people to go back to a pure thing. By the way, the more that I've thought about this over the last 20 odd years, okay, and I, I definitely see the benefits and the reasons why people do it, but I will tell you something, that the, the benefits, the, the, the cons outweigh the benefits. The cons actually do outweigh the benefits. I did not see, and this is anecdotal, when I look at people of quality of deen, quality of deen, there's a huge difference between, and this is a strange thing to base it upon, but I saw a big difference between people who articulate niya and don't. Yeah. Now that can't be said in this an absolute sense, but that's what I've seen. There's a big difference in confidence, approach. Not everyone, of course. It'd be impossible to make that judgment or that broader painting of the brush or whatever, but yeah, Allah Don't you think it becomes like If you keep having the verbal one, don't you think it becomes like not having the intention? Like, um, uh, like a ritualistic kind of chant that becomes mindless? Yeah. Lazy option? If, 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 if the reason it was brought in is that you didn't have an intention or people didn't intend properly, yeah. then it just becomes part of your... Like you're gonna... Automatic yeah. thingy. I think so. I, I agree with that. I think that you know, it becomes a lazy option. Might have the opposite effect. I think after a while. I think at the beginning it's like a protective one. Yeah, after a while. What? There's no doubt that the scholars that taught the people saw it as bid'ah hasna. They would never go into what they considered to be a haram bid'ah to help the people. What would one be? What other examples of bid'ah hasna do I have? Well, hold on. Let's just categorize we because you either accept that there's something called bid'ah hasna. No, no. I accept its existence according to scholars. I don't believe that there is a praiseworthy bid'ah. Either something is not a bid'ah at all, like the mihrab. We spoke about this yani, in the last few lessons. Some people use this as an example why bid'ah is allowed. No. This was never intended to be a religious thing in any kind of sense. No Muslim believes that if that, unless, of course, there might be some, but the majority of Muslims don't believe that if the mihrab is not there, then the salah in that mosque is deficient. You get what I'm saying? And it was seen as to use people to indicate direction and so on and so forth. So it's not as cheating to use that as a bid'ah hasana. But is it possible to say that, like I believe, and I've been criticized for this as well, that there's something which is called a pure bid'ah and a supplementary bid'ah, what we call bid'ah al-mahda and bid'ah idhafiyah. I think that exists. And some people said, well, that's just another phrase for bid'ah hasana. And some people say that there's no evidence even that it's a So bid'ah itself is a very detailed, different over subject. What there is no doubt about in this particular issue of articulating the niyyah is that there is more to it than just some evil bid'ah. It was a good intention by the people. It was, it was a scholarly... If I have been left 
fudges, right? Right? And eclairs in this box. I swear I'm going to go super saiyan. Pass me this box here right now. If I, if you've taken the galaxies and the Snickers from that, give me that box. Bring it here. I, 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 I what the heck's all this? What the heck's all this? What the heck's all this? You can have it all the thing. Why am I, why am I having all the flipping fudges for? Huh? Well, that's better. Send back the thing. What is it that you got? Yeah, that's okay. Who's cheating? Tell me, tell me who took my favorite one. You did, didn't you? Just wait, everybody, okay? Because I don't like being played. Okay, now you can have the eclairs. Who, the, who has eclairs? They had a vote recently, I think. The ones that should... Yeah, fudge. Who does fudge, man? Unbelievable. Pass the galaxies back. Who's, who's taking the galaxies from this? Yeah. That's wrong, you know that. I trust you lot. I turn my back for one second. Okay, now you can have it. There you go. Now I'm done. Right, what was the question? What were we talking? Yeah, I'm just saying that... Yeah, I, I think that's what I want to say. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the, the, the scholars ever thought it to be a very serious bid'ah, and they did definitely saw utility in it. And I want to say to you that uh, if we are true people of the Sunnah, we should trust in what the Prophet Sallallahu did. It is that it's actually that simple to solve this issue. When every, I mean, every single scholar that introduced this bid'ah for the people, they all agree. By the way, without exception, that it's not done by the Prophet Sallallahu and the companions. It's only become a dying tradition because the knowledge that it is bid'ah and not been done has become more prominent. Not because there's a greater, not a need for it. I still think that the people are more ignorant than ever before. And actually, if the argument was that the people need it, then they certainly need it more now. It's a dying tradition because the, the opposing opinion is getting stronger. Yeah. No, no, dropping the hands will be a form of riyah if it's understood that you do it right when the imam finishes the surah and you've memorized the surah as well. So you drop your arms and everyone recognizes, right, that's the end of the surah, so you know the Quran. People do all little things. Yes, but what if the person is doing it because he knows the surah? Yeah, and that's, and, 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 and that's the reason I mentioned it. I said that we all have to be aware how easy a person could fall into this. Just got to be focused on... And that's why, listen, riya, showing off, kibar, pride, arrogance, all of it is a threat to everyone, and it has a very simple solution. Worship Allah better in private than you do in public. I'm game over, that's it. So when the door's closed, when it's night time, when you're all alone at home, pray Allah, pray to Allah and do your salah as good as you do it in front of people, in the masjid, when you have a second guy, when you're traveling, when you have a group, when you're a teacher. You know what I'm saying? Simple solution. It's that simple. Scholars have always said that. Yeah. You know what? Um, so how can you differentiate when it's like, Shepard, like, sometimes gets you, like, you're doing it because you're in front of people. And when that happens, you do. I mean, we're going we're gonna to come to this, okay? Then you make istihadah. You actually say under your breath, A'udhu billahi minash shaitan al-rajim, quietly. And there's also another act that you will do, which is called dry spitting over the shoulder. Don't you know, gob on someone, yeah? Just now. Okay? This is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to do occasionally here and there. Don't get into a habit of that either. It's an odd thing that happens one every, once every few prayers or something. If they're, you know, 
things are happening to you. But you remember that shaitan is the only one who's making you do that. So he's, you know, you're always under attack in prayer. You're always under attack. He's gutted that you started praying. So once he sees you praying, because he's very happy to have the majority of people not praying, but once he sees you praying, he goes, you're the guy I need to focus on. So he comes at you with everything. He'll make you forget what you're saying. He'll make your mind go elsewhere. He'll start making you think about dinner, appointments, work, X, Y, Z. When that starts to fail, and he realizes you're strong, then he goes for the people who are practicing with this riya. The people who are practicing, who are focused, controlled, know what they're saying, know what they're doing, this is where he attacks them with. To show off from something that they do well, to make you look even better. You know what I'm saying? So you always got to be under guard. Last one, yeah. Uh, it's a good question, whether it's accepted or not. I think, that, I think it's got to be better than being silent. So I don't want to say it's not accepted. Okay, but I do believe that the, that's why people go, you know, after salah, and no one knows what on earth they're doing. Their fingers are going like this. You literally, you see people, their hands are like that. What the heck's this? Or you've got to see any fool who sits there with the tespi beers going, you're standing to have a conversation with him, and he's he's speaking to you, going like this, tespi beers. What the heck are you doing, bro? bestie, man. What an embarrassment. I mean, what is that? That's utter mindlessness, isn't it? I mean, it's a, a complete joke. So, um, or he's ignoring you. Or he's ignoring, yeah. <laughs> he knows his priorities. So, um, yeah, I don't want to say that that heartless, mindless dhikr is, is rejected. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's close to being worthless. <laughs> close to it. Um, right. Let's have some here. Here comes the chocolate. See that, Mesa? What a hater. What a hater. Yes, correct. Whoever just told her to let it slide. Yep. Um, yeah, good. Mesa got the zakat. Well done. Okay. Uh, if a prepubescent or even a pubescent child, such as a boy at the age of 10, makes hajj. Oh, we already said that. Sadaqat to hajjud, I don't think individual reward. No. Hazar is Imam Piche. Yes. So then, how about forcing one to pray and to do various ibadat? These are all rejected, correct? So according to those ulama who say that a mushrik has to either accept Islam or die, then what is the hukum on their acceptance of Islam under force? That's a good point by uh, Rayhan. We're not here to discuss now because that goes into, the, into a major discussion, but there is, there is a discussion concerning coercion and its, and its position in Sharia. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, okay, you move on. Or was it to educate the children at an early age to say the niya? What do you think about that theory? The theory that the niya was put upon people to educate them. Because the adults were doing it themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a fair point, isn't it? The adults never said when you grow up then you won't need to say this. They carried it on even more so. Right? Why would you teach something which is not right anyway? Like, you know it's wrong. No, I don't know about that. I have to say that for a child, I see the benefits. What, what do you think? It's the same thing with your, the niya. What are you teaching somebody? What are you teaching them? The, uh, what they're actually doing? Like, let me give you an example. When you, let, me, let, let, me, let me tell you. The way that you talk that prejudice uh, to wasn't that you say, you stand here and say, this is too important. That is why you don't have kids and we do. <laughs> <laughs> he does. 
Yes, he does, but he just can't speak at the moment. So we'll just have to just pass that. They're yeah, getting there, Shah. Yeah, no, uh, let me explain. <laughs> so let me give you, let me give you an example with my kids. My kids definitely at the young age <laughs> definitely did not learn the names of the prayers and their units like they should have. Until later than they should have. L- later than me, for example. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that when I remember mine, or comparable kids in madrasa and in masjid, whatever, they were more confident about names and identities and whatever. Nothing about what's happening inside. But in terms of thinking, why? Because they're repeating it so often, so often. What about me? What am I doing? To a kid that I'm not teaching Nia to, I'm actually saying the Nia for them. I'm saying, right guys, we're praying two rakah fard. How many do you pray for, for Fajr fard? Two rakah. What do you call the one before it? Two. So the actual Nia part is being done in the educational process. No, no, but I wasn't teaching the Nia, but the re- well, what I'm repeating is what? Getting them to identify how many times they pray, what is called, and how many units. Now, imagine... Before that long teaching process, I teach you a formula to say to yourself each time. I can see the argument that they will learn. Which is exactly what I learned when I was a kid. Exactly. So you knew the numbers. From the fact that my parents made me repeat the statement so many times that I memorized it without even knowing what it meant. You don't necessarily need to learn the statement okay? You can learn the units itself. Correct. You can. And that's what I did with these kids. And my observation, not a scientific one, anecdotal one, is that their picking up of what units, numbers, and locations was seemed to be more delayed than those that are younger. However, the quality was better than the ones that are younger. So it's, it's that. Huh? Which is why we don't do it. But the masses, they don't really care so much about quality. For them, it's a ritualistic thing. That's why I said why I said... I found that in general, when it comes to judging Muslims in terms of quality, there is something there that involves niya. It's a very bad thing to say that, but it's an observation. Uh, let's just do something online. Regarding bid'ah, there are messages sent on New Year's Eve asking Muslims to pray instead of waiting for fireworks. It sounds like a good idea, but is it not bid'ah since there are sunnah prayers that can be performed every night? A.N. I want to know who A.N. is, by the way. Identify yourself, A.N. Because this was mentioned by Shaykh Hatim al-Auni himself uh, in the gathering. It's a famous argument. It's the argument that on Christmas Day we're going to go harder. We're going to have a conference. We're going to do ibadah while they're doing their shirk. Where, when someone else is doing their thing, then we'll do our thing even more. There's some statements from the Salaf in that. Maybe even a statement from Omar, which has maybe a little bit of authenticity, whatever. Who knows? But the point is, is that isn't that technically an act of bid'ah? Something the Prophet did not do. But because they are doing their shirk or haram in a way where we're going to take the opportunity to go harder in the right way. Okay? Now, there are some scholars that completely do not see that as a bid'ah and some that see it as a bid'ah. They said that you specify the day to do specific things, whatever. And the others, they say, the minority, I should say, that say there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, there's basis for it. I have to say that my, argue, my heart feels comfortable with the people who say there's nothing wrong with this. I believe that it is a principle in Ahlul Sunnah. Actually, I'll go that far as to say that when people increase in shirk, we increase in tawheed. And Allah knows best. But I definitely see the argument for why that could be bid'ah. So it is a point of interest, yes. Yeah, go on, you're going to say. Usman, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say that if you were to make that statement, uh, 
That, yeah, that could be a problem. But then the argument would be, the reverse argument would be, well, if that's the only day they're going to increase in their kufr, so that's going to be, yeah, we're going to know about in advance whether I plan that and book the hall five years running or whether we all know it's 25th December and I'm going to do it on 20th and I get it cheaper to do it now. You get what I'm trying to say? I could argue, we go back, back and forth and it's not clear. And then, Abir, for the last question online, some folks don't have their feet and hands in the way the Prophet ﷺ instructed during sajda and between sajda. Now, if someone shares the apparent right way of doing so, because they learned from the scholars, but then people respond by saying that actions are by intention, as to mean that such details don't matter, since my intention is to offer salah and gain Allah's pleasure. So what exactly does actions are based on intention actually mean? So it's definitely not that anyway. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ never made action only by intention. For an action to be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there are two conditions. Number one, the intention. And number two, for it to be done correctly. If you do not do it according to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, it is rejected. We covered that hadith uh, months back. Whoever does an action that's not upon, upon not that which upon me and my companions, فَهُوَ رَدٌ It is rejected. So that's the simple answer about that. Okay, any final questions here in the class? Anyone? We done? All right. Yes. The two conditions for an action to be accepted is number one, the intention. Okay. The intention is two parts, to be done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be done correctly according to what it is that you want to do. And then the second condition of an action to be accepted is that it has to be done properly. Otherwise, exactly what she said is correct. You just intend to do any good and not have to do anything. Just do what you want. Stay at home. You only lie down. And my intention is to worship Allah. Right? It's nonsense, right? And likewise, you could lie at home and, or you could do the act yani, very, very proper, but intend to do it for a person. So these two actions are absolute. These two conditions are absolutely essential. Any announcements we need to make? Ah, yes. Asma. Ooh. Okay, that helped. <laughs> Asmau, alright. Um, but it's a good point. And uh, correct, correct. But this hadith, Arif, that's my boy from Calgary. And uh, and the the Prophet Yani, there is a hadith that indicates that that worship in difficulty is like hijrah towards uh, made to me. Yani. That is basically that any act of worship done in a great moment of difficulty is of a great reward. Almost the same as like the people who did the hijrah, and because those are more rewarded than the ansar. First of all, I think this hadith is of question, but it doesn't matter the authenticity of the hadith or not. The meaning is absolutely correct, but it's in haraj and not in a shirk time. Okay, does that make sense? It means haraj, meaning that yeah, you know, when it's very difficult to pray, for example, and unless you pray outside, and you find that very difficult, but then you decide, well, I can't delay the prayer, I can't make the prayer qada as haram, so I'm going to pray outside in front of people. That's exactly what that means. Or jihad, or sadaqah when you have very little, or or fasting when the day is very long. So that the act is definitely commensurate to the the, the reward, but this is not nothing to do with bid'ah, nothing to do with bid'ah. Uh, so to the 26th of January, folks, which is in exactly three weekends' time. So three weeks on Friday, 
Shaykh Yahya Ibrahim will be coming and teaching the tafsir of one of my favorite surahs, Surah Maryam. Okay, the class is called Purified. Please make sure you attend. Shaykh Yahya's class is very good in tafsir, by the way. By the way, Shaykh Yahya, he's hardcore critic, man, of Quran. Every single salah, and I want you to tell him this as well, by the way. Every salah he prays behind any imam. The next first thing after he gives taslim, he'll say, yeah, he's got issues with his tajweed, that one. <laughs> Sick guy, qasam. I took him to, I don't know how many different, I took him to Rajahi Masjid, you know, uh, in Mecca. And a sick imam. He goes, yeah. It's not great on his ghunna, is he really? Like, uh, actually, it wasn't Muhaysini, but that is the masjid that he prays in. He's been arrested though. Yeah, he's not there, yeah. So, um, <laughs> on that point. <laughs> Cousins. Cousins, exactly. Sick guy. But like, like I said, he takes his Quran seriously. I like that about Yahya. He's very, very serious about the Quran and its explanation and its authenticity. No wishy washiness. Huh? Everything. He's, he's mashallah. He's, yeah. Remember, Yahya Ibrahim first made his name because of his memorization of the Quran and recitation of it. 20 years ago, he was Yani Talib al in the Quran. So it's good. Make sure that you attend. Very, very beneficial. So that's 26th of January and the weekend here in Manchester. Uh, other announcements? I am not too sure. Where is it? Salford University. Salford University. Okay, folks. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu an la ilaha illa anta. Wastaghfiruka. Allahumma atubu alaykum. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.